Hello and welcome to the Film Classification Podcast from the BBFC. You want answers! I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! You must unlearn what you have learned. The first rule of Bike Club is, you do not talk about Bike Club. Hello, James Blatch with you as ever. This is podcast 24 from the BBFC. Pretty good going for a franchise, I think you'll agree. In fact, I noticed we're catching up with Bond, depending on exactly how you count uh, Bond films. In this edition, we're going to be looking back at the life of another figure who was influential in the BBFC's history, and that's uh, a secretary from the early 1970s, Stephen Murphy. Before then, as ever, we have a quick look at one or two news items that are around and about in the world of film classification. And really, there's only one story in town for us over the last few weeks, and that has been the new online music video rating pilot. This is both uh, us, the BBFC, and the BPI representing the music industry. And we are getting together with Sony Music UK, Universal Music, Warner Music, which are obviously three of the majors when it comes to producing music and uh, music videos. We will be having submissions from them of uh, music videos containing content that they judge would be classified 12 or higher to us for classification. Now this is a significant step in the realm of digital content classification and uh, many eyes will be on this pilot and how it works. Now as we've discussed on this podcast before we talk uh, to a great number of people when we research our guidelines and most recently in 2013 more than 10,000 people consulted and that did highlight to us the access to music videos containing sexualized imagery self-harm, drug use and violence, to name a few of the key concerns for parents. Um, We know this is something that is uh, a pressing issue for many, parents in particular, of course, but politicians have a keen eye on this subject. And uh, parents are, well, they tell us they're eager to have more input over the types of content that their children access and which parents wouldn't be particularly online but they feel a little disengaged by the system now by applying an understood and trusted bbfc age rating to music online videos we hope this pilot will be able to solve that issue that is uh, facing a lot of parents so the age ratings and the bbfc insight guidance will be presented on screen and the dates within the pilot that is uh, from which they will be broadcast is a matter for the dsps to confirm the dsps taking part in the pilot are vivo and youtube now if you look at a lot of music videos uh, or look at any music videos from time to time you'll notice vivo uh, are a big name in that uh, in that field now, we did mention this before. In fact, uh, David Cameron, Prime Minister, first announced the age ratings and the pilots in a speech ma- made back in August um, when he was calling for greater parental guidance to help protect children from unsuitable content uh, and rules for online videos to fall in line with the content bought offline. So uh, this is, I suppose, part of a general move to try and present to parents and to consumers some form of recognisable, easy-to-use content classification in the digital, in the fractured digital realm. And uh, it's a pilot at the moment, maybe developed in different ways uh, as it concludes, but we will certainly look at how it goes and we'll bring you that news here on the podcast as, uh, as quickly as anywhere else. Okay, as I said, we're going to be looking back at the history of a figure who was, uh, I would say, uh, significant in the BBFC's recent past and one of the people who helped the organisation get to where it's going today. His name is Stephen Murphy. He had a bit of an unfortunate 
uh, chapter, I suppose, in the in the BBFC's history. He came at a very challenging and difficult time. And as ever, we turn to our in-house expert for all things BBFC historical, and that is Craig Lapper. So Stephen Murphy, yeah, last time, Craig, you and I were together, we talked about JT, one of the large figures that looms over the organisation. We talked about his legacy and so on. Um, we talk about Stephen Murphy now, and I think it's worth saying right at the beginning um, that he's somebody who had a difficult intray and a difficult outray during his time, didn't he? But just first of all, give us the, the, the framework when he came in and when he went. Yeah, um, Stephen Murphy uh, joined us. Secretary of the Board, as it was called then, in July 1971, and he actually left in June 1975. So, so he took he, over from JT. He took over from John Trevelyan, um, and he was here for not quite four years, and that's that's probably because he had such a baptism of fire, and he, in spite of the fact he was at the Board for a relatively short period of time, he's he's quite well remembered because he had to deal with so many difficult films. So let's go through the biggest hits of Stephen Murphy. Well, when he first arrived at the board, uh, John Trevelyan had just passed Ken Russell's The Devils, so that was just about to be released when he took over as secretary, so he had to rush to see it and catch up on on, on what had happened with that. And then almost immediately after Stephen Murphy joined, uh, to add to his woes, uh, he got Straw Dogs, a few months after he'd started. Then the month after Straw Dogs, he got a Clockwork Orange. And then coming over the horizon shortly afterwards, Last Tango in Paris. Wow. So, you know, the, these are still regarded as some of the most controversial and contentious films ever made. Yeah. And uh, and Stephen Murphy was having to deal with them and it's, uh, just after he'd taken over. You see those films today, the ambiguity of, of sexual violence in Straw Dogs, the clinical violence and the sort of stylized presentation in the clockwork orange and you're right today not only are they still i think quoted in terms of uh, and referenced in terms of violence but actually they hold up today clockwork orange i think in particular is yeah. still a difficult film to watch mm-hmm. um but think about that in in the early 70s yeah you think about what was on tv then i mean mm-hmm. pre-good life even i mean the type of very tame cultural yeah references that are around and that was it was a bit of a um, uh, a bonfire he was in yeah well, we, we, we'd seen throughout the 60s um, gradual liberalisation uh, sort of accelerated towards the end of the 60s, but uh, John Trevelyan had been relatively fortunate in that a significant proportion of public opinion seemed to be in favour of, of these elements of liberalisation. When Stephen Murphy turned up, he was faced, first of all, with a, a, a massive um, increase in the explicitness of films being made. That was partly because of changes in censorship in uh, in Europe and also in America. Um, but at the same time, he was unfortunately faced with a, the developing pretty quickly, actually, of a moral backlash against the, the, the per- permissiveness of the 60s. So he turned up in the job just at the point when films were getting more explicit and at the same time people were starting to question... Uh, whether whether all this permissiveness was was a good thing. So uh, w- when Murphy started, you just had the conservative victory in the election in 1970, which uh, which I think it's fair to say gave uh, gave some comfort to those who were uh, were were opposed to the liberalisation that had happened in the 60s. Um, and you had people like the Archbishop of Canterbury um, asking 
asking his congregation to to stand up against permissiveness and and all this tide of filth. And then at the same time, uh, Murphy's having to deal with increasingly explicit movies. So so let's talk about one or two of them. So The Devils, uh, first of all... um Ken Russell's film of the debauched uh, period. Um, always, I always remember it for Derek Jarman's sets, which yeah. are magnificent uh, in the film. Um, how did the board, I mean, how did Stephen Murphy then deal with this, already sitting on his desk when he arrived? Yeah, uh, The Devils was a film that was, for its time, so explicit that even some of the, the board's examiners were, were questioning whether John Trevelyan and the board's president were right to be passing it. Um, significant cuts had already been made, um, partly because of the BBFC and partly because the company who had made the film, Warners, were so disgusted by it, they insisted that Ken Russell uh, make reductions. But it was still a fairly explicit and toxic kind of film for Stephen Murphy in terms of its combination of uh, religious, or some would see it as blasphemous elements, uh, together with uh, an almost unprecedented degree of nudity mm-hmm. at that time. It was probably the film that contained more nudity than anything else the board had passed. And uh, although nowadays um, certain aspects of the film, with its cavorting naked nuns, can appear slightly you know, camp and risible, at the time yeah. it, 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 it was quite, uh, quite, quite controversial. Um, the particular problem that Murphy um, was left with with the devils was, as I said, there was this uh, increasing uh, backlash against permissiveness going on, um, and John Trevelyan had started to reawaken local authorities in the late 60s. John Trevelyan had uh, felt that one way that he could ensure that the board wasn't behind public opinion was to test out certain films by encouraging local authorities to use their powers to overrule the board. So in the 60s you had a number of cases where the board would say no to a film but perhaps suggest to the more perceived liberal authorities perhaps you could certify this film and we could we could see um, see what the public and critical reaction was and then the board might be able to to move on now with the devils with this increasing conservatism abroad local authorities started to think well hang on mm. if this is going too far in advance of public opinion we can also use our powers to reject the film in our area. And of course, some of the um, bodies like uh, Mary Whitehouse's organisation started to petition local authorities, reminding them of their powers and asking them to prohibit films like The Devils. Um, so, so Murphy was finding himself in an unfortunate position, partly of the board's own creation, where um, local authorities were now starting to uh, prohibit films that the board had passed. So things were turning the other way. And testament to the strength of the devils, I think I'm right in saying that the original version that Ken Russell cut has never been seen, has it? Or has the it the cut version that we approved in 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 the 70s is available on DVD now, but the material that was originally taken out of it has never been reinstated. It and does exist, but it, it hasn't been reinstated. And is that down to the distributor? Yeah, it's, in just, it's, a, it's a choice of the distributor yeah. not to... But nonetheless, if you want to have some sympathy with Murphy, uh, Stephen Murphy's predicament, I mean, there's testament to it that in 2014 there's still reluctance to include yeah, some material yeah. in that yeah. film. OK, Straw Dogs. Now, Straw Dogs, we talk about a reasonable amount uh, in the building because... 
um, there's a whole discussion about sexual violence and uh, the rape myth and, and there's a particular scene in Straw Dogs um, where a rape uh, sexual assault starts. Some of you are probably better at describing it than I am, but appears to be consensual and that created a difficulty. Yeah, there's, um, th- th- there's a sequence uh, in the film, key sequence in the film, in which um, uh, a character played by Susan George is visited by... Um, a character who who was her boyfriend in the past, and um, that's clear in the narrative. He uh, forces himself on her. She she initially uh, repels him, but then the scene becomes uh, more complicated, and it sort of darts between consensual and non-consensual, and that 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 confusion um, about whether yes means. Uh, whether no means yes. Yeah, and um, even if it's is, no at the beginning, it'll probably be all right if you carry on. I mean, yeah, that's yeah, obviously not a very yeah, healthy it, message. It, 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 it's it's a very difficult message, but it's it's um, it's it's also a very crucial sequence in the film. Uh, Stephen Murphy had seen the film in rough cut before it was formally submitted, and he had made some reductions to the rape scene, but nonetheless, the the scene still goes on for a good ten minutes, and uh, without spelling. Spelling it out, I think some of uh, Stephen Murphy's changes had a unfortunate effect. And so Stephen Murphy came from where? What was his background? Yeah, Stephen Murphy had originally been a school teacher. Um, after that, he'd worked for ten years at the BBC, and then he'd worked for ten years um, at ITV. And in the um, latter portion of his time there, he'd been working in regulation at what was then called the uh, Independent Television Authority. Uh, he was the first BBFC secretary or director to have come from a media background uh, and specifically from a regulatory mm. background because he was a television regulator. You might have thought that that would Be qualify him perfectly for the role, but uh, you know, an unfortunate <laughs> series of events meant that it didn't pan out quite as, uh, as had been hoped. But worth reminding ourselves that there was nothing on TV that was equivalent to the strength of the the types of no, films he was dealing all. with no. in cinema. So, so an early intervention didn't. Um, I mean, how was it in those days? Was it similar to the setup today? Uh, would he be accompanied by some senior examiners to go and see films, or, or was this a one man? Well, you have to remember at the time there were very few people working at the board. You had the president, you had the secretary, and I think at that point you would have had four examiners. Um, so, so very often those kind of advice viewings uh, would have been done by the secretary on his own. Right. How was his relationship with the rest of, I mean, with government and so on? Did he have, uh, was he well supported in that sense or was that difficult as well? Well, th- that was one of the problems for Murphy. He was, he was under assault from all areas in, in a sort of chain of events that, you know, that, that all contributed eventually to his, his decision to to step down from the board. You had, on the one hand, campaigners like Mary Whitehouse saying he was too liberal. You then had local authorities who were worried by groups like Mary Whitehouse and agreed that Stephen Murphy was too liberal. And then once you got this chain reaction of local authorities banning films like Clockwork Orange, like Straw Dogs, like The Devils, that in turn led to the film industry 
wondering what's the point of the BBFC. Yeah. Whereas back in the 50s, there'd been a perception that the board was too far behind public opinion and local authorities started passing films the board wouldn't pass. Now we had the opposite reaction. And this meant that if, if, if the board had lost, um, lost the confidence of local authorities and perhaps um, elements uh, in the political world as well under pressure from... Mary Whitehouse and others, um, it, it, it was putting the board in a very dangerous position because if uh, local authorities couldn't be relied upon to accept the board's decisions, um, then uh, film distributors and exhibitors were, were, were nervous and wondering, well, what is the point of the board's certificate? Okay, well, let's, let's talk about one more of his films, uh, which is Last Tango in Paris, um, 1972, and that was passed. It was passed, but it was passed after one small cut in, uh, in, in the crucial scene that everyone talks about. The board did require a 10-second cut. I think it's probably fair to say that the board made that decision for largely political reasons. Having allowed Clockwork Orange uncut um, and having allowed Straw Dogs virtually uncut... Um, I, I, I think Murphy and the board generally was very reluctant for the next big controversy to simply go through <laughs> X yeah. uncut because of the likely effect of that uh, on top of the previous decisions. Um, the good thing about uh, insisting on the cut also, uh, it was only a little 10-second cut, which was negotiated with Bertolucci, um, who came over to speak to Murphy. Uh, but the advantage of making this cut was it delayed the formal classification, which uh, created a slight advantage for the board in that the press could have their say and the story could almost burn itself out before the board was ready to make a decision. It also meant that the board was able to see what critical opinion was going to be and make sure that the critics were behind the board on this one. Right. In the case of Straw Dogs, the critics had, had attacked the board um, 13 film critics had written a letter to the Times questioning uh, questioning the board's decision to pass the film. And that, along with uh, you know, Mary Whitehouse and Moral Pressure Group's criticism, uh, made things very difficult for the board. But in the case of Last Tango, once it was clear the critics would support us, and once some of the initial press silliness had been burnt out, uh, we, we, we could then sell a reasonably good story about um, having allowed it but having made one judicious yeah. trim. But there was a private prosecution, was there not, against Lost Tango in Paris? Yeah, yeah. I, I, this, is, this is where the story goes from bad to worse. I mean, Murphy had been dealing with local authorities, banning Straw Dogs, Clockwork Orange, The Devils, etc. Um, now he, he finally thought he'd got things just about right on Last Tango in Paris, and then the one thing you really don't want to happen happened, and for the first time there was an attempt... Uh, brought by a private individual to prosecute uh, Last Tango in Paris. The the prosecution was against the board, uh, against the film's distributor, uh, but, but but the board was also cited in the case. Um, ultimately, the prosecution failed when the courts decided that the Obscene Publications Act didn't apply to cinemas, so the prosecution was dropped. Uh, but be, but being in a position where the board's uh, being accused of actually passing material that may be illegal was uh, was was very, very uncomfortable position to be in. Um, and that was merely the first uh, of a number of legal actions during Murphy's time, not always involving board decisions, 
but there was also a prosecution of a sex education film called More About the Language of Love, uh, which the GLC had allowed. Um, and again, if a film that had been approved by a local authority was found to be in breach of the law, that could have fairly wide-ranging implications, uh, not least in terms of preventing local authorities from feeling they could reach different decisions to the board. So it was a very difficult time uh, from the legal point of view. So having been a bit battered and bruised in his three and a half odd years at the mm. BBFC, he um, he decided to call it a day. Yeah. Um, I don't think it's entirely surprising that uh, given, uh, given the issues he'd had to deal with and given... Uh, the fact that he was being attacked from all sides, you know, sometimes being attacked um, for being too liberal, but also being attacked for being too conservative. Mm. He, he really couldn't win, um, probably just because he had such a difficult batch of films. And, and he, uh, he decided to return to the quieter world of TV regulation. You know, if you're going to write a book about Stephen Murphy, you'd call it Murphy's Law, wouldn't you? Because he was mm. unlucky in that sense. And I shall leave the last word, actually, to Michael Brook, uh, writing on the BFI Screen Online website. So I read his Pracy of Stephen Murphy, and he makes the point that it's very likely that John Trevelyan would have made the same decisions as him on a lot of the films. Oh, definitely. Um, he, he was just a victim of extremely bad timing. And John Trevelyan, who maintained quite a healthy, or you might say unhealthy, interest in the board's work, even after he'd stepped down, said publicly in defence of Murphy that he supported the board's decisions yeah. on Straw Dogs, on Clockwork Orange. He would have made the same decisions. OK. Brilliant. Craig, as always, a great pleasure talking to you and uh, shining a light on some of the um, the directors and secretaries past. What point did it become director? Was that during Stephen Murphy's time? No, that was he during was... James Furman's James time. James Furman, OK. Well, there's a figure, obviously, we are going to be talking about. We'll have to put aside three hours for that podcast yeah. when we come on to James Furman. Um, but I appreciate your time very much. Thank you. Well, there's Craig and I talking about Stephen Murphy a little earlier. And we mentioned James Furman. I have no doubt, although we haven't set anything in stone, I have no doubt that Jim Furman will be a future subject. Uh, so watch this space. It's going to be an interesting conversation. Of course, it always is when it concerns Mr. Furman. Um, thank you very much indeed for listening. It's a great pleasure, as always, to talk to you through this podcast. Uh, the BBFC takes its uh, role seriously in being transparent and open about the way that it operates and how it operates. We'd love to hear from you as well. You can email us, podcast at bbfc.co.uk. Uh, thank you very much indeed to our editor, Catherine Anderson, of course, Craig Lapper, for his uh, knowledge and insight on Stephen Murphy. Uh, my name is James Blatch. We will be with you next time. Thanks for listening. I suppose you better let him in.